Welcome to the Liberal Europe podcast, European Liberal Forum project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre, and today I'll be talking with Sebastiano Potuto. Sebastian is the vice president of Jeff Europe, Les Jeunes Européennes Fédéralistes, the Young European Federalists, and I have him in the podcast not only to talk about Jeff, but also the importance of youth activism in politics. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of November and the beginning of month of December. I'm here with Sebastiano Putoto. Sebastiano, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, Ricardo. Oh, it's great to have you here. And we're going to talk about something really important, which is youth movement related to politics and also related to federalism. But before, let's talk a little bit about yourself. You got to the position of vice president to Jeff, but you're also someone that has a very interesting background uh, that got you to your position where you are right now. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, as my name says, uh, I'm Italian, but I was actually born in Brussels uh, and I've lived most of my life in Belgium, but I've also lived in France, Italy and Germany before coming back to Brussels where I am now and where I am vice president of Jeff Europe. So it's um, fair to say that you are a European through and through, born yes, in different definitely. countries and traveling all around. Definitely so. Now let's start with Jeff. So for our listeners that they don't know the organization that well or don't know the organization at all, and then on the show notes of the podcast, I'm going to put all the links so that people can know more about what Jeff is and what Jeff does. But let's hear it from you. What is Jeff and what, is, what does this organization does? Well, so Jeff stands is, is actually the acronym of the French name of the organization, uh, which is a historical reason. Uh, the, the name of the organization is the Young European Federalist. It was founded in, in 1972 in its current form, although youth wings of, of the federalist movement had existed since after the war, the French name being Jeune Européen Federaliste, thence Jeff. Um, and it's an organization of, uh, it's a youth organization, uh, nonpartisan but political, which means we welcome people that have a partisan political belonging as well as people who don't, provided obviously they subscribe to the values of European federalism. Uh, we have 13,000 members and some, uh, around 30 sections, 30 national sections, that's how we're organized, uh, which means we also have many sections that are not in the EU, uh, think Norway, think Ukraine and countries uh, and countries like that. And what do we do? I think the simplest way to explain it is, is what we do can be classified along three pillars. We campaign for a federal Europe, we train our members in a variety of things, and then we do civic education on European citizenship. First, uh, this really, really interesting tidbit that you just gave us, and that is you have 30 national uh, sections which is exactly what you said, it is more than the um, member states of the European Union. How, it, how is it, tell us a little bit, and for people that are listening to us from those countries, how is that connection between, you know, centralized Jeff work more inside the European Union, and then all of a sudden you have a country like Ukraine saying, hey, we would like to be part of the process. Tell us a little bit, how does this happen? Well, um... Basically, so, so Jeff is a federalist organization, right? And 
we practice what we preach, which means we're also organized in a federal way internally, which means there's there's clear competences for, if you want to call it the, the central level, but but the, the European level of Jeff, which is where where I work as a volunteer as a volunteer, uh, and then there's different things that the national and le- and regional and local sections do, um, and by our statutes, any um, any any organization that identifies with the values of Jeff that is in a country that is member of the Council of Europe can become a member of Jeff. So that's the first reason why we are not exclusive to the European Union. Uh, which is, if you want, the legal reason. Then there is a political reason to that. And the political reason is what we fight for uh, is, as I said, European federalism. European federalism means uh, the idea of of Europe as a political union, not an exclusively economic project, and a democratic political union where, where democracy, where there is a sort of direct link between the citizens and the level of government, so also not the current way that the EU works, or uh, not not the majority way in which current EU works. Um, but that is also for us only a stepping stone, right? Because if the idea of European federalism is to promote peace uh, in Europe and fight nationalism, then you cannot stop at the European level. Then the next step will be to unite the world and avoid wars by creating the structures of democratic and political integration at a global level as well. Um, which is why also we don't limit ourselves to to the EU, but basically we uh, the first thing we promote is is a united political Europe. But then once that is done, and it will be done eventually, we will promote uh, more more strongly a united political world. We're going to be talking about political integration in a minute, but before we go into that, let's stay with the way that Jeff works again for people that are listening to us young dynamic people that will be interested in working with Jeff. So you have this, uh, you just said, any organization, as long as they share the same goals, can uh, be a part of the process. But how does this thing work? Is there like a commission that evaluates proposals? Do the sections need to have their own agenda and their own, you know, events that are organizing, that civic education that we're just mentioning. Tell us a little bit how the sausage is made. Okay. Uh, well, then there's two sausages that are being made, right? How you become a member organization and then what kind of work we carry out a bit in more detail. Uh, so how you become a member organization, I mean, obviously there, there's a number of legal steps to take. You need to be a registered organization. Uh, you need to have internal democratic structures, blah, 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 all of, all of, all of those things. Um, the way it usually works is mostly through our social media, occasionally through events we have in countries where we don't have uh, sections or because we meet someone at an event from a country where we don't have a section. We have someone who comes up and says, hey, what you, what you do is interesting. I would be interested in joining. How can I do that? And then we say, well, look, in your country, there isn't a section. Mm-hmm. But if you're interested, you can set up one. So, what it's, what, so the process begins by a few people getting together and saying, okay, we want to be politically active, but we want to be politically active for an idea that is nonpartisan, which is uh, a united uh, and federal Europe. Um, and, by, and then they start meeting up together. They start organizing events to inform about what it means and so on. And then when they, they 
can rely on the support of uh, of the executive board of Jeff, which is where I sit as a vice president, because the moment you have a group of people that are interested in becoming members, then they get in touch with uh, with us through our social media, website or whatnot. Then one board member will be responsible for that interest group, helping them out, guiding them, offering suggestions and advice on how to set up things. And then there is a process that takes usually between one and two years where the interest group can apply to become a candidate section and then can apply to become a full section, uh, which is then voted on by the Congress of, uh, of Jeff Europe. And all these processes are based on the fact that the decisions are taken all together in a democratic fashion. So that's for how you become a member. Uh, then what are the things that usually our sections do, right? And what, what do we do? Uh, as I said, we campaign for a federal Europe. That means we um, we write policies, uh, we adopt resolutions that outline what it means a federal what a federal Europe means in the context, for example, of environment or uh, migration policy or the economy and so on. And these policies are adopted by our federal committee, which is one of our statutory bodies where sections are represented and uh, and also there's directly elected members. Then these policies are used to do lobbying and advocacy at the European level, but also at the national level. And finally, when you campaign, obviously there is also a, a strong street element, even though COVID-19 hasn't helped that one, uh, we do demonstrations. Some of the listeners uh, may remember that in Rome in 2017, there were the big celebration for the 60 years uh, of the European Union with the heads of state and government of the EU, but there was also a big demonstration with 10,000 people that was, at, that was actually organized by the Young European Federalist, uh, the Union of European Federalists, the non-youth level, uh, and the European Movement International. And that demonstration was saying, it's all good and well with the EU, but this is not enough. We need to take the step towards a political union. This podcast aims to give people tools to get active, you did a tremendous job. So everyone listening to us and uh, especially younger uh, listeners that want to get involved, Sebastiano just gave you the blueprint how to do it. And of course, all the countries that have sections, please join the sections and uh, be a part of the process. What do you see as a future for Jeff? So give me, of course, not the best uh, case scenario because we know how hard it is to get best case scenarios but one that would make you feel happy that the organization is going in the right direction um i think my scenario where i would be happy is if in 10 years we dissolve jeff because we have achieved the goal of a federal europe we have adopted a european constitution and then there is no reason to have a jeff europe anymore but then we need the young world federalists uh, more realistically, though, um, I, I think what we are really looking at politically right now is what everybody, what everybody always says about the European Union, right, is, is that it's slow in the processes it takes and it's so disconnected from society and citizens and so on. And that, that, that's true, okay? The way the European Union is set up right now, it is geared for slow, um, slow decision making and, and it is a bit, it has still a bit of this technocratic vibe. Um, there are very important democratic elements, right? At the same time, you have the European Parliament every five years in the European elections, the citizens of Europe vote for one single parliament that re democratically represents all of European citizens. And then on the other side, you have the Council of the EU, that, which with all its faults, 
um, because it, it is kind of the beacon of intergovernmental decision making, and that sometimes exposes the limits of uh, of the current setup. But it also it, ha it would have potential to evolve in a form of European Senate, right? Where the interests of member states, which are legitimate, okay? It's not wrong mm -hmm. to want to represent the interests of, of a community such as, uh, such as countries, um, where these would be represented, but in a more democratic and transparent fashion. So not the way they are, the decisions in the council are taken now. And then you would have these two pillars, right? The whole of European citizens represented in the parliament and then the constituent entities of the European Federation being represented in the Council or European Senate, and these two taking decisions together. Now, we know this is not the case right now. Um, so what we're looking at is, is how, um, in essence, yes, COVID-19 has changed completely that scenario where decisions that are completely unprecedented have been taken, such as the idea of actually um, financing a recovery plan at European level is something that was already kind of mentioned, for example, in the 2000, uh, 2007 and 2008 and 2010 economic crisis, but never really came to fruition. And then this time, probably because of the mistakes that were made in handling that crisis, this discussion then came back and then there was agreement. And this agreement says, we're going to finance it together because we're in it together. We're in this together. But also there's going to be conditions because obviously we want to make sure the money is well spent. And this is this is kind of a it's 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 a beginning of common financing of common public goods in a democratic and federal fashion that six months ago nobody would have expected. The fact that is that it is that it is now happening is very, very interesting. I mean, there's all this talk about Hamiltonian moment. I'm not entirely sure it is a Hamiltonian moment. But it could be. And this is where young people and uh, civil society organizations that think of the EU as a democratic and political union, that it has to become a democratic political union. This is one of the areas in which you should intervene, right? That is a fantastic point. And I will be asking you about what can the young uh, Europeans can do. But before that, and now I know we're going into you know, kind of a gray area I'm gonna, because I'm going to ask you, I'm going to be asking you opinions and these opinions are yours, but please tell us if that has echo inside an organization like Jeff. But one thing that I noticed, and you are on point because in the several conversations I had in this podcast during the pandemic, and we actually had a spin-off, which was the In Lockdown series. One thing I noticed from different colleagues of ours in Europe was that appeal for more of a connection of a joint work, more of a kind of a federal solution to problems? Either there was economic problems, uh, health problems, even educational problems, all this important for uh, younger generations and let's not forget environment, as you mentioned. So I share your, uh, your view, which is there were very interesting steps that were given that will make people feel more comfortable with the idea of centralizing decision making. But as it is inevitable, resistance will be uh, introduced into the system. How do you see this process going on in the, in the next years? And let's say the next five years until we have another election for the European Union. What is your intuition on how can we go into a model where there is more federalism and less 
division of the member states? It's a very good question because um, a lot of it um, you could probably do by just being frank and, and open uh, with citizens, right, as, as, a, as a national leader. Um, mm-hmm. What we've seen in recent years is, is the surge of, of populism, both uh, on, on the extreme right and extreme left of the spectrum. And the main problem of, of resurgent populism is not that they make these, these strong uh, claims of going back to the nation state, but they fail to identify that the problems they claim to wanting to solve cannot be solved just at national level, right? For example, when you think about um, when when you think about certain nationalist extreme right parties saying that um, having you know these racist slurs against migrants and refugees come into Europe, you can have different opinions on how the migration issue should be handled, right? Should we open the doors completely to everyone and, and just let in migrants and refugees because it is the humane thing to do? Or should we have strict control at the borders and so on? Jeff has its opinions on that issue. I have my personal opinions on that issue. But the question is, are migrants and refugees coming to Greece, to Italy, to Spain, or are they coming to Europe? That is mm-hmm. the question that is never answered, right? And the fact is they come to Europe because they see Europe as a single entity, which to some extent makes them even more federalist than many of, of, Europe, of uh, national leaders in Europe who don't yet see Europe as a single political entity. And if they come to Europe, then the solution needs to be managed together. Then you can choose whichever mm-hmm. solution, right? Um, but, but the point is this solution should be decided together in a democratic fashion because the problem is of everyone and not just of one single country. It has repercussions on everyone. Um, so, and that's, that's a bit what, uh, what, what I would say is a problem. And, and these kind of issues, you could solve them by simply being honest, right? As a national leader, as, as a prime minister, you say, look, guys, it's as simple as that. These are European problems. We need to solve them together. And this is one big failure. Then there is institutional failures. As I said, the European Union in, in its current structure is not always geared towards taking decisions together. Uh, think about the environment, for example, but even uh, asylum and migration policies. They're not strict European competences. Uh, they're most of the things that you would need to do are still very much in the hands of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the member states. Um, so there is a failure there of the treaty to identifying the right level uh, to which, at which you should take the decision. And, and that's one of the core values of Jeff, which is subsidiarity. What does subsidiarity mean? Subsidiarity means the decision should, ta- should be taken as close as possible to the citizens, but they should be taken at the level where the problem is. So if you have a massive economic crisis that affects the whole of Europe, is the answer to that economic crisis a national answer or a European answer? A European answer. The environmental crisis. Is the environmental crisis national, European, or global? It's global. So where should the answer be? It should be global. But then if we think about the street outside of my house, right, and we need to redo the street because there's holes in it and the cars break their tires when they run into it. Now, it's clearly a local issue. Who should take that decision? Uh, my, 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 My city council, should it be 
the should it be Belgium or should it be Europe? Well, clearly my city council. This is where that decision makes more sense. And if you want to have a new park in my in my city, then that decision again is a decision that matters to me and to the people who live in my city. So that decision should be taken there. This is the essence of subsidiarity, and this is completely upside down sometimes, right? Uh, in in the decision making process in Europe. I'm going to ask you one more question on this topic because I really want to talk about also the youth movement in politics. And that is, you mentioned already the fact that we need a European constitution. And I know that people get really nervous <laughs> when we get into that. But the Treaty of Lisbon is clearly insufficient and it's clearly incomplete on that particular As I'm sure our listeners know, and Sebastiano knows this very well, there is this uh, initiative to do a conference on the future of Europe. Do you think that this is on the agenda or even with all this progress we made in the last couple of months that there is still still too early to talk about it? Well, it really depends who you ask, right? (laughs) Because on the conference on the future of Europe, many different people have many different ideas. Uh, For example, the parliament has made a very clear point that it wants the outcome of the conference to be open and uh, it wants the process to allow for any kind of outcome including treaty change or you know a constitutional um, a constitutional leap whereas the council by its very nature obviously is is more resistant to to that idea which as expected yes but it's also not a problem right it is the job of of the nation state to resist losing its purpose i mean I don't blame it. I'm just ana- analyzing the fact that a country as a nation state um, has has a naturally inbuilt instinct to preserve itself. It's it's the most natural thing, right? And then the commission is trying to mediate between between these two uh, necessities, where it starts from from the analysis that citizens don't feel listened to. They don't feel part of the decision process anymore. That's one of the reasons why we have resurgent populism and nationalism, right? So first of all, this must be the first concern, that we talk to each other, we listen to each other, we listen to citizens, and that what they say has an impact on the decisions that are taken. So this is absolutely the first concern. The Conference on the Future of Europe is a place where we need to talk about things, but it cannot be a talking shop. We talk about something, We come to a common understanding that that common understanding needs to translate into something, right? Uh, Which can be legislative initiatives, but at some point it can be treaty change and it shouldn't be a taboo to speak about treaty change. Think about the issue of, again, uh, the environment or, or tax, like aggressive tax planning, for example. Now you can decide, um, according to your own preferences, at what lev- what is the right level of taxation for individuals, for companies, and so on, whether you should have more taxation of income or more taxation of pollution and environmentally damaging uh, behaviors, okay? We can have that discussion. But the question is, where should that decision be taken, right? We have the single market, uh, but fiscal policies are still very much national. And then the countries can have taxation policies to basically take advantage of the fragmentation, bring, in this case, multinational groups to their uh, to their individual countries. Uh, but in doing so, they're undermining the source of revenue for the welfare state, which is one of the backbones of the European uh, uh, social model. And again, we can have a discussion on whether the welfare state that we have from the 70s is still appropriate for 2020. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But 
we, we are never having that discussion, right? We're having the discussion of, this is my power. I want to keep it. And the Conference of the Future of Europe should be the place where those discussions are finally set free, where we can have a real conversation of what is needed in 2020 for Europe to perform its tasks, to lead globally on social standards, environmental standards, on the rule of law. This is the conversation we need to have. And if that conversation ends with, we need to change the treaties because the treaties we have today are not fit for purpose, or it ends with, we need the proper constitution because this is what will make the EU democratic and effective and, and, and finally uh, fulfilling its fate in a sense, well, then we need to be able to have that. Very good. Now let's talk about how young people like you, like all your colleagues at Jeff, and our listeners that are listening to our conversation and you know making sense of what we're saying, how can they be more active? And it's very interesting that you brought up a couple of points that I'm going to try to make a an argument, and please tell me if I'm wrong, because I may be wrong. I'm not a, a young lad anymore. But it, it felt to me like environment was kind of an open door for other topics to be on the forefront of younger generations. I see this a little bit from the media that I follow, but also locally. In some countries, I see, uh, you know, the kids are on the streets, which is a good thing. And it goes also to, and you just mentioned, what is my future in social security? What is my future regarding having a job? What is my future regarding technology? And particularly, what is my future regarding the, what, what world are we living? What is the environment that we have? But this is my opinion, this wave, this critical mass that has been gathering lately and that I think is going to make a lot of a difference in the next couple of years. Please tell me that this intuition of mine is correct. Well, it is true that we have seen youth activism of a kind that we hadn't seen for, for a very long time on climate issues, on climate and environmental issues. And my sense is that the environment and climate have a more clear uh, connection with young generations for, for, to some extent, for a very simple reason. It is us and, 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 and younger generations, I mean, I'm 30 by now, I'm, I'm getting old, but it, it's, it's the kids who are 15, 14 today, right, who will have to live with the consequences of not enacting the Paris Agreement, for example, of not being ambitious enough. My parents or grandparents were in the 70s or 80s, you know, in 10 years, what the environment or 20 or 30, what the environment looks like, if, if, if we still have clean air to breathe and, and water to drink, has less of an impact. I understand it's a bit cynical to present it this way, but maybe this is the simplest way. Um, so, so it's normal because, because we young people inherit the world from someone else, a world that has lived on this idea that we can exploit all the resources as much as we want uh, without thinking about the consequences. Obviously, when we see what the consequences are, because we have plenty of examples of that. I mean, one example in Portugal, it was last summer, I think, there was fires on, uh, in, in the forest all over. Why? Because we have exploited the resources so much that uh, there's not enough water in the ground anymore, and then the cycle of rain doesn't work properly anymore and so on and so forth. Now, with that in mind, because it is so evident to us that this is a consequence of wrong policies we have adopted in the past, then we're like, this is my world. 
you're messing it up and I'm not okay with it. So I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it loud and I'm going to take the streets. Um, so, so this obviously, which is why um, I, I think it was very natural that, that we see so much mass youth movement on this. Then that opens a lot of other questions, obviously, because it opens the question of what are my rights as a citizen? Is it just the right to have a job or is it also a right to a healthy mm -hmm. life? And by healthy life, I actually mean my ability to breathe air mm -hmm. or not. Um, and then this brings on another discussion about what is the role of the state in all of this, right? How much can the state regulate this? How much shouldn't it? And how can we have business take uh, have a behavior that is socially and environmentally conscious while maintaining the freedom of enterprise um, and how do we pay for all of this? It opens so many more discussions. The discussion I have seen a bit less, and this is where Jeff comes in a bit more, is how do we decide about this? Because it's all good and well to find the right policies, but the, the, the bit of a missing link between all of these policies has been how do we take those decisions? And the truth is, if we want those decisions to be effective, we should take them at global level together. Now, obviously, it's it's with the crisis of multilateralism, this is problematic. And we see that the European Union leadership has a bit understood that, is trying to be more advanced and using more ambitious and using the, the instruments of soft power and, and, and diplomacy to influence the outcome in other countries. But it's so difficult. And it would be so much simpler if we had a world parliament that can debate a global climate law, wouldn't it? And I should add also that it was very interesting to see the youth movement regarding social justice. And that'll be a conversation for another podcast that I'm going to ask you to please come back and keep talking to me about this. But in this last minutes that we're having, how can then we transform this movement, this dynamic, this enthusiasm into politics, into voting, into running for positions, into creating a section to be part of Jeff. What is it needed, apart from, of course, the work you do and we're doing in this podcast right now, what do you think are, would be like main projects that we can have to make this happen? Well, what I think is, uh, what I think is that Jeff is not enough, actually, and it's far from enough. Um, I, I think the, the most urgent thing is that the, the youth movements uh, for climate justice uh, are like keep up the momentum because this has in part translated into political consequences, right? We see that those parties that have put climate and environment at the forefront, which in the majority is green parties, but not only those, because there's been parties across the spectrum that have understood the challenge uh, early enough to, to make it a signature, um, a signature proposal. Those parties that have put climate and environment at the forefront of their action have seen an increase in youth support, an increase in support in general. Uh, and obviously, as time passes, these young people will be more and more supporting parties that are actually environmentally and, and climate conscious. That's the first thing. So keep up the movement, keep up the pressure, keep up the enthusiasm, because that is already translating into uh, consequences. And these consequences, the increase in support for certain parties has translated into more ambitions from some decision makers, right? Um, the Commission, as uh, the president of the of the European Commission, von der Leyen, had announced an increase in the target for reducing CO2 emissions in her state of the European Union. 
obviously because there is so much pressure coming from below from the citizens about this. And then there is the thing that um, I think the other important issue is we cannot do this alone spontaneous movements and demonstrations are not enough, but they have to translate into organized protest and to organize political pressure. This is where Jeff come in. This is where uh, the, the, climate, uh, the climate movements come in. We need to kind of talk more to each other. We need to try to network all those fights together because there's plenty of liberal parties and socialist party and conservative parties and green parties and climate movements and organizations like Jeff that are transpartisan that all share this urgency of uh, the climate struggle. And we should network more and more together to try to bring one single front on this fight. And we're working a bit uh, on this on this with Jeff. We're trying, first of all, we, we've been upping our ability to speak about climate by, by discussing it internally and adopting resolutions. That's how I get the mandate to say certain things on this podcast, for example. Good. Uh, and then the other, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to go into too much detail, right? Because I have the organization behind me telling me, you as a the representative of Jeff can say these things about climate and about the solutions. So, uh, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is with these policies, we're now mapping out those youth organizations that work on climate that uh, share some interests with us and figuring out how we can work together and so on. Uh, and obviously this is, this is a medium term kind of process, right? It's not something you do in two months. It's more something you do in two years of building those kind of stable relationships that build the momentum, but it's in progress. So let's see how that turns out. Sebastiano, this has been a great, great conversation, very rich in information, and I'm glad that I have you here and you can do tell us a little bit about the positions of Jeff. And I'm going to ask you to come back because we're just starting our conversation. And um, I think this is in the forefront right now of European politics and uh, European Union politics also. But as you mentioned, and very correctly so, it should be a, a, a global movement. So uh, for now, I'm going to ask you to please tell us where can people follow um, Jeff's work and also your work if you want to give us uh, your footprint online. So if you if you want to hear more uh, about about Jeff, uh, we have a website. It's very simple. It's Jeff.eu. Uh, and otherwise, we are on all social medias, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook and, uh, and the like. You can just type Young European Federalist and we, uh, we will pop up. If you're interested, feel free to just send the message to or, or tag us in anything and someone will reach out uh, and, and will tell what you can do if you're interested. That being said, uh, Ricardo, thank you very much for inviting me. I really had a lot of fun uh, chatting with you and I'm absolutely happy to, to come back if, if you want. I do want and I'm going to put all the links in the description of the podcast. Again, Sebastiano, it was great to have you and hope to have you back soon. Yes, me too. Thank you very much, Ricardo. I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this end of November and beginning of December. In the 30th November, based in Sweden, we have the book launch Human-Centered AI in the European Union. 
Ethics, trustworthiness and human control are the core of European guiding documents for AI. But how well is this reflected in the national strategies and decision-making? This anthology analyzes to what extent the notions of ethical and trustworthy AI have influenced the AI strategies at the member states, focusing on Portugal, the Netherlands, Italy, the Czech Republic, Poland, Norway, as well as Nordics overall. This is an event organized by European Liberal Forum with the support of Foresh. And then on the 10th of December, we go back to Sweden, based in Stockholm, we have the launch of Pieces of the Puzzle, Managing Migration in the European Union. For the last two decades, the idea of a common European asylum system has been discussed in the European Union, but negotiations of a reform has put the system under scrutiny and show its underlying systemic flaws. With diverging views between member states, reaching a common solution is not an easy task, so we ask, how can the European Union collect all the pieces and complete the puzzle. To know more about these events, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.